everyone. Welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're talking with my friend, Garrett. What's up, man? How's it going? I don't How's know if it you going, want... dude? <laughs> Good. I don't know if that you just want to go by Garrett. That work? Yeah, that's perfect. All right, cool. Um, yeah, today we're going to get into some uh, somewhat relevant uh, stuff relating to the new legislation that just came out. Um, yeah, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer just put it out there. Basically, trying to uh, disclose, um, you know, UFOs. Uh, at least that's what they're making it sound like. And um, they're setting up a oversight review board that's going to take in all the documents from pretty much every agency around the government. They're going to um, have this independent uh, group of individuals appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate uh, review. Um, all those documents, you know, who, who knows how it's going to go, but that's, that's the general idea. And, um, the point is they're, they're modeling it after the, the JFK assassination, um, declassification, which a lot of people are not happy about. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> understandable, I guess at this point. Um, but I think, uh, there's, a, you know, be a little more um optimistic about it uh when it comes to ufos than you know a president getting assassinated uh at least in my opinion but um you know a lot of people think those two are kind of connected the kennedy assassination and um you know the ufo cover-up it's been going on for decades so uh we're actually going to get into that a little bit tonight um i'm not sure if that i honestly haven't really breached this topic that much um personally and i'm not sure how like controversial that is but fuck it we're gonna do it um and garrett what's going on man uh how you doing i'm good dude i thought uh it's also i think historically important to mention the three people that are calling or being called to testify uh ryan graves david grush and commander dave fravor um and i'm a fan of the choice of those three what do you think of them yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think, I think a lot of people, at least like in the community, are like chomping at the bit to get new information, and that's not really what this is about for me. Because um, people, you know, it's it's been a cover up for decades and decades, and you know, it's it's like let's get the show on the road, which I understand, but you know, the public hasn't even heard pilots testify to congress um you know and like it's it's funny like last year you know people were like why haven't they gotten you know the pilots to testify like all the skeptics and stuff are like you know that kind of thing and and now it's like okay they're testifying all right well they're not going to give any new information it's just going to be the same stuff it's like yeah well the public hasn't heard this stuff like and that yeah i tweeted the other day like 99 percent of you know just a reminder, 99% of people in the world aren't UFO nerds. It's, um, you know, it's kind of like baby steps. And I think to build credibility, um, I think these these are the right people to do it. And especially to get Grush, David Grush in there, who, um, you know, made those wild claims. There's still wild claims to me that he would make those on TV. But um, to say that in a congressional hearing about you know the existence of a non-human intelligence and you know ufo crash retrievals and you know this whole cover-up to say that uh in front of a congressional committee um is a huge step 
and I think a necessary step before you start going into, you know, who worked on which program and, you know, all that kind of nitty gritty stuff. Um, I think, I think it's an, an important step. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I Did you see what Tim Burchette said about the video? Um, I saw recently he was asked about um, video, if he had seen convincing video, and he immediately snapped back and was like, I have seen video, quality video. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's something that we might even see in this meeting, but that was something that really perked, uh, my ears perked up when I heard him say that. Um, because it definitely had seemed like around the Senate and Congress, they had had like uh, meetings already. And it seemed like they had uh, like for some reason, like it came out of left field for me when Schumer talked about this topic. Oh, like sure. I didn't think that he had any interest in it or support for it whatsoever. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> oh, stuff's happening. Wheels are turning. And uh, people seemed to be a little more well informed on the topic. So like. I kind of agree. I like the this these three. I want to like see what these three have to say um because all three of them say pretty different things. And uh it's still very similar but a little bit different, you know? And uh I just I, they got to get a, a grasp of the nature of this cover up and why things are being covered up or moved around. Yeah, and I think um the Schumer thing totally took me by surprise too he's he's kind of like the last person i was like expecting to take the lead on this let alone like acknowledge it um i think i think the staffers i mean i kind of got this uh this uh notion i guess from uh cory booker who's a senator in my state new jersey um i took notice of him when uh i think ask a poll matt laszlo from from I think he has a substack called Ask a, Ask a Paul or something like that. He goes around DC and just asks uh, politicians questions. And um, yeah, he got my senator, Cory Booker, uh, and you know, asked him about UFOs. Like, what do you think about them? And he's like, oh, my staffers like are obsessed with it. And um, that's pretty much all he said. So that kind of, and then I kept kept hearing over and over, like, you know, the staffers are on this in, in, in the background. Like, this isn't, it still seems like stigma is still there enough for like where senators aren't like outspoken about it but it sounds like you know behind the scenes uh yeah their staffers are really like have been investigating this and and that's who you know chris mellon and elizondo and them i think have been you know talking to the most is the staffers i think that's who grush gave testimony to uh initially i don't think he well i'm not sure maybe actually yeah i think he has actually give i don't know I'm not going to pretend to know, but um, I know he gave testimony to the staffers, um, you know, first, but uh, I, they're the ones who really seem to be coordinating this whole thing. So um, I think they, they really deserve a lot of credit in this whole thing, but uh, yeah, Schumer obviously is a huge deal. He's the Senate majority leader. He actually invoked, you know, Harry Reid, who has had a huge history in this topic, um, you know, getting the money for OSAP and, and ATIP and, you know, actually funding the one program that we we know about basically was spearheaded by Harry Reid and Schumer invoking him and continuing Harry Reid's legacy with this legislation, I think was a pretty cool thing to hear. Made him sound genuine, at least in my opinion, um, by doing that. But 
Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Uh, it, it it showed like he had the the self or not the self awareness, but just the awareness to acknowledge that and um like know know where this is coming from. That it's not just like something new. Like this has been building for a while. It's building upon Harry Reid's legacy, and um, he was respecting that as a you know fellow Democrat in his own party, which was yeah, it's cool to hear. Yeah, dude, Harry Reid was kick ass. Wasn't he a fighter or something? Like he was a a legit badass as a young guy, and yeah. like all the way throughout his life. And yeah, uh, there was something you mentioned, Chris Mellon earlier, and he had tweeted something about the UAP security classification guide and that it needs to be revised. Do you know anything about that? Because it seemed like he thought that was like really important. The UAP task force were the ones who originally made the security classification guide uh for for UAP. So then there was right. there was this whole thing, you know, since um I guess Jay Stratton and Travis Taylor were on on the UAP TF. Um they were the ones who who made the security classification guide. But then like later on Travis Taylor was saying like that's not what we meant by you know writing it that way. I don't know. There's a lot of confusion there. Hopefully it gets sorted out. Um but it sounds like people are aware of it, at least. It's it's good Chris Mellon pointed that out for sure. Cause you know, I think that that itself probably has most to do with the classifying like videos and stuff, which is really what's gonna get the public on board. Um and I think that's definitely a, a huge deal is is getting that looked at and, and getting actual videos and shit like that out. Yeah, dude, I agree with that. I'm I'm really scared that the just given what I've seen in the past couple of months, like I saw them attack Grush's autism. That was real weird. I saw yeah. them like uh there was a couple weird times where any of these people I've seen Dave Fravor had unpleasant things said about him. And uh, I just think all these guys are tremendously brave. And I like hope that the media doesn't just go after them or uh you know what I'm saying? Like I, I yeah. really just hope these people continue to get a good look and like don't get made fools of and like i I don't know i feel like this very easily could slip into being reported on only in like ridiculous ways the Mm. way this topic has and uh i i think that, that these three people in particular seem like really genuine like honest guys that deserve to be listened to and uh, i just hope more people come forward and like this has a good aura to it you know yeah no i i get what you're saying it's just, yeah they're credible um especially graves and and fravor they they've been in the public eye for like a long time now since grush has come out they haven't been able to find anything to like discredit him basically besides you know, like you said the, the whole autism thing was so fucking ridiculous i can't even like imagine what people were thinking when they brought that up they said he had a real estate license or something and or some bullshit like that. It's like, okay, <laughs> what does that even mean? Like these are, these are people who worked for the government and, and very serious, um, very serious ways with like crazy amounts of responsibility. So they haven't been able to, you know, fuck with their credibility at all. So I don't know. You know, the latest one I heard is that people who try to sell a book, now are just cashing out it in in my opinion it's a beautiful thing when somebody anybody writes a book 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, that used to be, I remember when I was a little kid, if you had said you had written a book, that was like an impressive thing, you know? And, uh, I think it's quite an accomplishment, in my opinion, having read a lot of books. Like, if I ever write a book, I would be extremely proud of that. And, oh, like, for sure. the people who frame um, someone writing a book about their experience as being some negative thing is it, it just drives me nuts because it's, it used, it, I think it's, it's such a beautiful thing if somebody can like tell their story or tell a story or make somebody scared or laugh or cry or like excited. And you can do that in a book. It's so important. And uh, the people that like poo poo people that are like authors or become authors, I just find it very distasteful. Yeah. And, and just being able to tell your story the way you see it, like, I think, everyone deserves a chance to do to do that you know i mean and it it takes fucking forever to write a book like you should be getting you know (laughs) paid for the time (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's crazy to me that people are like yeah just write it for free while you're on the street or some shit like no man you gotta like (laughs) first of all you gotta get someone interested enough in your story to fucking give you the advance to write the book and um you know you have to have lived a life where people would actually be, you know, you know, open to reading it and hearing your opinion about about the things you've been through. Dude, and quite frankly, if Tom DeLong is telling the truth about all this shit, I in my opinion, he should be a fucking billy billionaire, dude. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? The you know what I mean? Like he's been yeah. shit on for so long and uh I don't know, man. That guy's writing books and he seems to like be doing his thing and plugging along and people are just haters dude yeah. I, I, no I, dude it, did you see that um thing that aj hartley tweeted the other day i um, i saw that he got shouted out at a show and it like made his oh life my God. dude he was so happy it and, was so uh, awesome anyone listening to this go check out aj hartley's um youtube channel he he co-wrote secret machines the uh the fiction trilogy with uh tom delong and um, you know, Tom went on tour, uh, obviously with Blank 182. Um, and I guess he was down in, I think, Carolina is where AJ Hartley lives. AJ obviously went to see him uh at at the show there, basically told the story about he went backstage and then, you know, watched the show from the stadium and then and then Tom was like, Guess what I was right about, motherfuckers, uh UFOs. <laughs> and then he said, This one's for you, Andrew, which is which is AJ, you know, his full first name. But uh, he I, he called out uh, AJ Hartley and then started Aliens Exist <laughs> for uh, dedicated to him. So that was cool to hear. And it's like... Sick choice. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> I, I was like, dude, that's sick. like, congratulations, man. I mean, but he wrote the fucking Secret Machines book. So he's, he's like an all-star to me too. So whatever. Dude, I would have been stoked. <laughs> he was his, because he's a, like a Shakespeare guy. He, I know. Imagine dude. being at a Blink 182 concert and like, even though the people, the, a lot of Tom's fans, I'm sure knows he writes books about UFOs, you know, but like only a handful of people there, I'm sure know about like that relationship or who that guy is. And um, yeah. it, it made him so happy, dude. So I was, I was happy for him. <laughs> Just like reading, you know, Tom's Twitter account and all the replies and shit. It's like no one fucking cares about UFOs. <laughs> it's it's kind of funny. And I'm like, I oh, yeah, I was that guy. Like, you know, 
back when he left Blink originally, I was like, you know, fuck Tom. <laughs> what an asshole for yeah, leaving. And now I'm like, dude, like, uh, he, he, he fucking did, he did so much, um, you know, outside of it. And it's, it's pretty wild. Same uh, with Lavenda, dude. Peter Lavenda has been laying it down for years. And yeah. like, that's a name that no, if you notice, dude, all these critics never talk about him because right? he, he has been detained in the South American camp before. <laughs> so it's very, I wouldn't want to talk to him either because that doesn't seem to go along with what's on the news right now. And, uh, Ugh, dude, there's so much of the past 100 years that's been like classified, it seems like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's get into that then. Yeah. Uh, Lavenda and um, Sinister Forces. We're going to go into a little bit um, because, yeah, that that was a big thing was, you know, Schumer. And I guess uh, I guess the whole, you know, everyone who wrote the language and that, they base it off the JFK thing, you know, declassification. And again, yeah, people are not too happy about that because stuff is still classified uh, after all this time. The most important stuff is still classified. But that's that's where it gets kind of weird with the UFO thing, too. It's like, obviously, the tech is it's going to be classified. Like, I personally have given um, up, I, I guess, on like the tech part of it. If it exists, if we have cracked you know, whatever UFO technology is like free energy, zero point energy, whatever, I would imagine that would stay classified or whatever, you know, parts of that technology you could weaponize would, would stay classified. Dude, my understanding is if you have that technology, you win. Yeah. End uh, of yeah. story. Like sure. I thought that was my understanding of it. I don't know. Um, but like you are so dominant because you're invisible for one. And just, yeah, just talking about the uh, aircraft you could do, I'm not even talking about the energy, you know, it's, it's wild, dude. There's so, oh my God, so that's, there's so much you could yeah. do. Yeah, so that's kind of my point is like that shit is, you know, <laughs> that's a state secret. Um, and like, I don't know what people are expecting to get out of this declassification process um, when it comes to technology. I mean. Obviously, there's probably things we can use use that for, like spinoff technology and that kind of thing. But nobody knows really. Um, so when it comes to that, I'm just like, you're not going to get, <laughs> you're not going to get what you want to get. You're not going to get everything, all of those documents ever. Like that's just not going to happen. You know, <laughs> there's stuff that has to stay um, classified. Yeah, and the other thing about the JFK comparison is like, JFK died. And they got time to change people's story or change what's on the news. If UFOs are flying around in the sky, there's nothing that there's no headline that, you know what I mean? Like, there's not really a way to sway people away from it. If Congress is infuriated about a cover up on this topic, that would be very different, in my opinion, than the JFK. It took years for them to really get interested in there possibly be something to there being a there there as far as did lee harvey oswald act alone and uh the warren commission the initial investigation was alan dulles was one of the head people in charge of that investigation and he's the guy that jfk told that he's going to shatter the cia into a thousand pieces. he's that director dulles being 
yeah the charge of that shit is is like it's like the air force investigating itself for ufos like it's uh oh it's the fox <laughs> watching the hen house dude. yeah and exactly. it's an already sketch because dulles was the he was our os if i'm correct he was our oss station guy out of switzerland or was he or switzerland like, I believe so, or Berlin or something like that, because he was involved with the Europe end and he was instrumental in getting the Galen organization. Reinhard Galen had like Germany's intelligence apparatus all throughout, uh, all throughout Europe. And after World War II, instead of like going after these guys that had participated in horrific things with Germany, they were like, oh, let's integrate them into our intelligence apparatus mm-hmm. and we can yep. investigate Russia ourselves. So Dulles was a guy that was like very involved with the Galenorg, Germany's intelligence app, or one of Germany's intelligence apparatus um, after World War II and integrating that into the like bringing them to the United States and getting them immunity, getting them jobs. You name it, dude. Alan Dulles is like, it, it's hard to find one where he's not involved. Yeah, the OSS is is so, so interesting. And, and I don't think people like talk about it that much when it comes to, you know, the UFO cover up and that kind of thing. I mean, I wrote yeah. like my whole last uh, article was about the connection of, of William Wild Bill Donovan was like on the other side of it. He's like the Asia guy. And mm. uh, and how the guy working under him, Estill uh, and Ripley, basically oversaw. I, it's so weird that they don't mention him, but in that book, Gold Warriors, where it's where they talk about, um, you know, the OSS after the war basically took all the Japanese loot that they stole, you know, over the over the t- period of the war in China. Um, you know, Japan stole <laughs> they all this stuff from the from the Chinese. Um, like gold and and gems and stuff and uh we basically well we by we i mean the oss under william donovan um you know took it all and uh kind of filtered it in um to the international banking system and uh you know had this global political slush fund behind the scenes that um they used to to fund uh basically fighting communism at any cost um across the world they they had all this you know I, I think they said it was like over a trillion dollars in in gold that they and then they combined that with the Axis loot as well and it turned into this you know an, an underground financial system basically that you know the banks became addicted to and you know this is basically like what Secret Machines is talking about um, they just don't really go into the the you know deep history of it but um. This is the OSS was basically what set this up in the first place. Um, this like breakaway civilization type type idea that Joseph Farrell and uh, I'm not sure Dolan talks about it in that kind of way, but um, like the financial aspect of it. But but that's like the basis of it pretty much. And they combined both the you know the, the Japanese loot with the Axis loot and created this whole underground financial system that basically was to fight communism i guess back during the cold war it made it made sense at the time and i kind of wonder if that's what tom meant by like you know it was the consciousness of the time was was the cold war i'm sure that had to carry over into their decision to you know keep all this all this gold treasure 
from the war um, under wraps to fight communism, uh, you know, after it ended. I don't know. Uh, those are just my thoughts on it. But um, I kind yeah. of went off on a tangent there. But uh, I, I also want to make the point that, like, the CIA, during World War II, we didn't have the CIA. Yeah. We yeah. had, like, the OSS, which was the Office of Strategic Services, right? And, yeah, and it was set up the, with uh, Donovan and Dulles and Harry Anslinger, I believe. Perfect. Yes. And that eventually, after uh, it was something like a few months after Roswell that the CIA was created. I think the National Security Act was enacted. And uh, there was one more real big monumental thing that I'm trying to remember. Um, Air Force, did you just say? The Air Force, yeah, separated from the Army. And uh, all three of those things happened in 1947, if I'm correct. And uh, that's something that distinguishes something that the Secret Machines books and what Tom DeLonge has said in podcasts and stuff that's something that's way different than the like main narrative right now. If you really mm-hmm. notice is like anything about that seems to be of no interest or is made to seem ridiculous, at least from the few times I've heard any of this mentioned, There's, it's usually put forward in a ridiculous way. Well, everything is built on that. Like that's, that's the problem is you can't, <laughs> You can't have transparency without going back to where it all fucking started. Like it just doesn't work without that. And um that that was why when I read this book, Gold Warriors, um, about OSS looting uh the Japanese gold and then using that to fight communism um after the war. Uh it's by uh, Sterling and um Peggy Seagrave, their husband and wife couple. I think I think Sterling Seagrave wrote for the Washington Post and um yeah, I think it was like a really educated on on Asia and that kind of thing. So that's how we got all these sources and documents and all that stuff to to um you know lay all this stuff out. It wasn't until I I read this book that that things clicked for me. Like it didn't make sense. Everything is so cloudy um before you realize like where this money actually came from. Like where like how did they how did they set up this quote unquote shadow government like how are they funding it like what what was the what was the catalyst for this whole thing and the fact that they had this huge you know huge amount of money um that they just came across uh after the war uh in in the form of gold gold bullion from the Japanese it just makes sense everything just kind of fell into place for me after after reading that yeah, it's crazy how all these characters are are connected and and they they combined, you know, the European uh, Axis loot with with the Asian uh, golden golden lily loot they called it. Yeah, Jim Mars says that like uh, Otto Scorzani. This is what Jim Mars claims. I don't know if this is true. He claims that they found in France like King Solomon's treasure. What? You know what I'm saying? Like that that's something that like uh got and the one of the stories that he tells to like um validate this is he says that one of the wives of the men involved with this loot was caught on a plane and like stopped in customs with all of these like Roman coins and they were like speculating that that came from that loot from that mission. And I don't know how true that is because Jim Mars is pretty far out, but like a lot of what Jim Mars says is true. 
and uh, Scorzani, if you know anything about Scorzani, he was one of the guys that got away. Like he was interrogated by allied forces and he was let off the hook eventually. Um, he later like was working in Spain, South America, Egypt, Israel, all these different countries. And it seemed like he was also communicating with Alan Dulles at the time because Dulles was involved with a bunch of coup d'etats across the world. Like they were involved with Iran, I think Guatemala. Um, and he wanted to have an operation in Cuba and that's what he was butting heads with Kennedy with. Yeah. That was the whole point was to, um, was to fight communism. It justified a lot of stuff. Um, with that with that single cold war mentality it, it just spiraled into into this massive corruption that we see today they're not you know responsible to anyone they're not accountable to to anyone um it's it's off the books it's um and it's been that way forever so so how do you rein that back in at this point i don't know something about alan dulles is that I, I've always wondered, like, what does this have to do with UFOs? You know what I mean? Like, what did Roswell have to do with all of these, like, intelligence things going off? Let me ask you a question. Well, not a question. I just want, because people, because you pronounce UFOs, UFOs. And I just want people to know why. Well, I I initially would say UFO. Yeah. And I would, I've heard myself saying that. And it bothered me. That was one. The other thing was that I I read and listen to John Keel like a madman. Yeah. Like if there's a clip of John Keel online, I've listened to it. I, I can tell you. And if I haven't, I'd like to, and I'm I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna hunt it down. Dude, and no, that's he, that's what I was saying is John it he's that's how he says it. And I feel like that's how everyone should say it. Yeah, I like I, really I like do. how it sounds, and uh, yeah, I like how it sounds, and it doesn't. People don't mistake what I'm talking about when I say it that way. Exactly. Um, I when I would say it all three letters, I've noticed that people would be like, "What?" And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I like I like to say it the way Keel said because I regard him as the number one researcher on the subject because yeah, the 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 books he's written about this. People can say what they want and that he was a pretty far out guy, but like we're seeing time and time again, we saw, I saw, uh, uh, Jim Semivan recommended him. Tom DeLong recommended him. Gary Nolan recommended him. Um, a lot of these guys like respectable guys are talking about the ideas in John Keel's books. And, yeah. uh, it's so disappointing to me when people just call him the like interdimensional guy. It's so much more, so much more. He, yeah, that's uh, I call him the Hunter S. Thompson of ufology. He, um, yes, he lived it. It's uh, it's more than just writing about it. He he did like the field investigations and was a witness and you know a contactee and like he didn't like interview people. He he wrote <laughs> he wrote down his experiences as they happened and in a way that was just like so unique and um it just keel he it's just him like he it's it made me see everything in a new in a new way uh for sure when i when i first read this stuff so 
it's like, wow, this can really, this is really personal for a lot of people. And I, I, I felt that myself because I've seen stuff and, you know, gone through stuff myself, but, um, and that's, that's what really like, I feel like experiencers or, you know, people who have been, been through that kind of thing really, really vibe with them. And just the way he like, um, just the way he talks about it is just so personal and uh yeah and he's not dogmatic about it exactly and he yeah you know? he, he rips on you know he rips on ufology he <laughs> yes ufo cultists like he he's very self-aware in that way too he, nice. he says that he would want to antagonize the ufo buff <laughs> constantly and uh he explains the difference between a ufo buff a true believer a crank yeah. and he says they all hated him and yeah. uh because in one way or another what he would say would contradict their beliefs and yeah. that was a problem and we see that everywhere not just in the ufo community yeah and i love that the valet did that too where he's like it's not fucking et <laughs> so he, didn't, he didn't say that i mean he, he wrote a paper called that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like uh, i love i love that um but it's really i think it's really complicated i think it's going to be something that we we can't even really comprehend I, because i because i feel like i don't know i feel like what it is what what it is and what we're experiencing are two different things um at least at least a certain aspect of it like uh, what we're what we're experiencing is um a, a communication that that is geared towards us that is like it is their way of interfacing with us um it is not necessarily them. Uh, it's, you know, it's how like Gary Nolan said before, like, how would you, how would you interact with an ant? You would build a little, you know, robot ant and put it next to them and see what they did with it. Um, you know, that kind of thing. It's, you would try to meet them where, where they were, uh, you know, as, as a less advanced species than yourself. Um, you wouldn't go, you know, stick your face in an anthill and say hey what's up <laughs> you would you would try to do it in a more uh subtle subtle way and yeah i don't know that's just kind of how i see it it's not it, what we're interacting with isn't necessarily um the phenomenon itself it's it's an interface i guess that that's kind of my idea of it but i don't know if that's what keel was saying but his idea of the phenomenon was that it was extremely flexible yeah, and that the, the super spectrum, essentially Keel's idea was that we all inhabit this. And I, I forgive me if I'm wrong or if I'm offending any other John Keel fans, but this is how I understood it is that we all inhabit one reality and he called it the super spectrum. Okay. And what we can see, like our color spectrum, we learn about in school of observable light, that Roy G. Biv, you know what I mean? All the way from red up to like violet, that whole spectrum of light is all a human eyeball is visible of detecting, right? So yeah. like something that a hawk can see is very, very like impressive, but a, a hawk is well equipped to see that thing from very far away but it's like almost incomprehensible for our brains to think about seeing as good as a hawk right. because our sensors just aren't there. We would need like special equipment or technology, or if a dog sniffs something, they have a, a whole, 
this is something Richard Dawkins talked about with bats. He, he said that he thought that bats can hear in color because they already are like kind of blind. And he was saying that the way their sensory systems have evolved, it's, it's as if that they had seen color before and they had that uh, faculty in their brain ready to go. It was just a matter of like a ton and ton of natural selection and time for eventually their hearing. The, he was explaining the hearing relationship between moths and bats. And he was saying that like the way a bat can hear a moth and vice versa is like very sophisticated and it takes place at the ultrasonic level. Mm-hmm. And that a moth the way that a moth's body is like biologically engineered, not necessarily engineered by anything, just by natural selection. Um, the way that that moth interacts with like that sonic signal is just very interesting. And apparently like we have people that base aerospace off of like the way moths fly and the way birds fly, you know, and mm-hmm. I've heard about that type of engineering before, like based off of nature and uh, yeah, bi- processes uh, that animals bio- do. Biomimicry. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, Richard Dawkins broke that down. I probably butchered that explanation, but he broke it down. And he said that he thinks that bats can essentially see color as weird as that sense. sounds. And uh, he was saying that uh, they have that faculty in their brain it's just something that is like probably something that like they reached for once all, all color is, is really a marker our brains use to distinguish things, you know? And uh, the more I'm learning about consciousness and like the left side and right side of our brain and how our brains process information and how different brains process different information, I'm starting to think like what this phenomenon is could be a whole multitude of things. And our brains could be playing tricks on us because like our brains as, as truthful and as honest and as honorable as people are, our brains can play tricks on us and we're susceptible to magic and all sorts of stuff, you know? So like, um, what do you think of that? Do you think that there's a possibility that this is an illusion or do you think there's enough to say that there's a there there? I find that like, it's so so weird i was i was thinking about i don't know maybe maybe you mentioned it before and it like crept into my subconscious but i like the other day i was like wondering um you know what if like yeah something similar to that like what if what if sound was like touch or something like that um and that's really kind of crazy that they're they're biologically built in a similar way to receive those sensory inputs as you know a different animal would would receive it in another way uh that's that's pretty cool um, right and that that reminds me what i was saying about keel and the super spectrum so like the super spectrum contains that whole spectrum of electromagnetic light and sound so essentially any activity that would happen exists in some way shape or form completely on the super spectrum whether or not a human can detect it is another thing and yeah. it seems like you were talking about it was a, a default mode network. Is that what it was mm-hmm. called? Um, I feel like that could be something that plays into this because it seems like different people are seeing things and other yeah. people are not seeing things. And uh, 
I'm curious as to how much research has went into like why that is. Yeah. Uh, and it also makes me wonder, like, does sound does sound have a lot more to do with our reality than we than we understand? Um, I feel like it does. It's not just, you know, I feel like it has just as much, if not more, to do with like the world around us as light does. Um, we just we just don't hear it. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before about how how they interact with us. That's part of it, right? They have to. They have to kind of simplify something to be within that very small sliver of reality that that we exist in that we can see you know Roji Biv like you said and like Kiel says um they have to they have to cram cram enough communication I guess into into a little sliver of reality I think that's they're above that you know um they take up more of the super spectrum or their reality exists. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, time is a physical dimension to them or something like that. Um, in order to communicate with us, there's a, uh, they have to simplify, um, you know, their understanding of the world and um, for us to, you know, even understand in the first place that they're communicating something and whether or not we recognize that is, you know, up in the air. Uh, let alone what they're trying to communicate. Um, I don't know. That's kind of how I see it. But yeah, it, it fits in with the super spectrum in that they have to, you know, cater, I guess, to um, a specific slice of reality. Yeah, I know uh, Gary Nolan has said, I have this tweet in front of me, and he was talking about Jacques Vallée's control system. Mm-hmm. And he says, now imagine a super advanced AI that can do this holographically or quote print unquote yeah. in 3D instantly. And next thing you know, you have Jacques control system. Yeah. I found that very interesting. Yeah. And imagine like a a three D a three D printer that can just, you know, stuff whatever it prints with AI immediately. It can make anything. It can make Sasquatch, it can make you know like pterodactyls like whatever it could that's part of it too is is ballet's uh you know it it reflects what what we expect to see um as something you know and it evolves with the time the frame of reference changes yeah yeah like nolan said um you know fairies in the forest uh back you know um medieval times and then you know as as we evolved it was um showed itself as gods and then now we worship technology so it's showing itself as ufos um so it's it's always within our frame of reference um of of something that that we see outside of ourselves that we aspire to be i guess um or that you know seems supernatural or mystical or beyond um beyond you know what normal life seems capable of producing i guess um i don't know yeah that's but the control system part of it is is kind of scary <laughs> that's that's something um yeah i don't know if people don't know valley's control system he basically hypothesizes that the ufo phenomenon is um is like a thermostat for human consciousness basically it keeps us on a um predetermined path by 
getting, you know, like a thermostat hotter and colder, but it, it brings us back to, to a median or mean uh, temperature that it's set to. Um, and if we get too far off track, uh, something happens to where it, it pulls us back to where we're supposed to be. That's kind of how I, how I interpreted it. Um, and he said, yeah, it's a control system for human consciousness. And essentially, I guess that means there's like some sort of predetermined place we're going, uh, and it's guiding us there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a, a very interesting one to explore. Yeah. The, the way I've always understood it is I, I feel like pretty similar to the way you just described. Um, I know that the more I learn about this, the more I keep hearing the term trickster. And the more I learn about what trickster means in literature and in um, myth, what it means, it's a very like transformative figure. Like it's a very like, uh, upsetting systems type figure and uh the the i'm trying to think it, like if you look at the trickster in mythology that is the uh what jung called mercurius the romans would call mercurius the greek hermes there's all sorts like it, you could name many different cultures but like they consider hermes that entity a trickster and the reason for that is because he is like material and spiritual it's like he is the messenger of the gods so like he flits around and like the idea of mercury alchemically is that you add mercury to any like ore and it extracts the gold out of it for you right mm -hmm. so like the idea with mercury is like the um mercury mercurius is going to like illuminate things that are uh gonna transform you things that are going to like challenge you and uh things that are going to interest you and like the more that you're like following i think they said that in the like tom DeLong uh podcast with steve-o uh, when they were talking about enthusiasm and they were talking about how that means like uh with god did you hear them talking about that? Yeah, I like think what so. it means to be enthused by something. They were talking about like manifesting your own reality or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. And uh I really dug that, like the way they were describing that, because uh it just in general, back to like the like trickster thing, I think that like it's real interesting that like Christianity sees a few different I I feel like I'm gonna sound so dumb, bro. I think we should cut this out if I'm talking about the trickster. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I got. I'm sounding dude, so dumb, bro. No, I got more. <laughs> I got more on it. Cause I, okay. Cause I, did you send me that thing? I don't know. Someone sent me like this. I think it was like a Native American, uh, like trickster element. Um, it was like a list of like, a, like a story that this trickster did like he'd do this and then he'd do this and then he'd do this and it was all sorts of fucked up shit and it was like and it kind of made no sense at all and when you said like it's a, like a change agent kind of thing that made so much sense to me like remembering god i gotta find that list somewhere um 
Yeah, let me. I'll see if I can pull it up. But I, I don't know. That's why I'm asking if it was you. I don't know, but it, it was fucking. It could have been because I'm, I'm trying to like learn more about this and write more about it. It was and like it. It was like the trickster like took a shit in the pond or something, and like super weird stuff. But it was like it, like off the wall. It, like the, the trickster like like trick like told the mom it was going to uh, at a party or something, and then trickster set the house on fire i don't know it's it, it was some, <laughs> it, it was some wild shit man but um anyway keep going sorry that was a that was a tangent <laughs> well um so something that like you hear them talk about the trickster right so like something that i've in in researching what research has been done you would eventually get to bass and nids and like Robert Bigelow's organizations, right? The, the people who were studying out at Skinwalker. Yep. And uh, John Alexander was one of the guys that was like, he has a PhD. In my opinion, he's one of the most impressive individuals ever. Like he is so cool. He was the head of non-lethal weapons for Los Alamos laboratories he was a lieutenant colonel in the army. He wrote uh, the new mental battlefield. I think he's written books with Tom Clancy. Like he's he's legit, dude. And That's right. he also has been a contributor to the Huffington Post and has written a few articles for Huffington Post that were really compelling. And uh, yeah, he's just a very well informed, intelligent guy. And he doesn't he have a, a he doesn't have a lot of patience for bullshit, you know. So like <laughs> yeah. he really yeah. gets down to brass tacks when you he talks about stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he's got real thick skin, he says. And uh, I really appreciate that. So I'm trying to find... I had a quote from him where he's talking about what they talk about uh, at Skinwalker. And he called it precognitive sentient phenomena. And I have a quote from him about it that was like really cool. Um, While you're getting that, I I watched this interview talking about that same thing. with uh, Tom Sagala, I think his name is. Um, I don't know. I tweeted it out earlier today. And Who's that? He, I didn't really know. So I was reading um, Colm Keller's. Uh, he did um, a little like expanded kind of article, and um, I think it's called Edge Science. They they put out every few months, I think, this thing called Edge Science, and it's it's actually really cool. Um, it's only it's like two or three articles they put out and it's like parapsychology um you know just kind of like fringy stuff but like by by super like you know educated like uh reputable people who put out these articles and and one of them was Colm Keller he Kelleher he um kind of went and expanded on uh skinwalkers at the Pentagon a bit and it's specifically the hitchhiker part and in that um article he linked to this interview with jim sagala um and he he was talking about how they're like what what he does is he sets up these devices he's an engineer and he constructs these devices that are supposed to detect um you know electromagnetic frequencies and, and gravity change changes in gravity and i don't know how that works but um that's what he was talking about, like microwaves and gamma waves and all that stuff. His his devices detect these things, and he leaves them out in places out in the Utah Basin, and then he he leaves them in 
people's homes who, who are part of the study he's conducting. And he said that, um, you know, when like he, he, he tries to collate the experiences these people are having with the data from his devices. So like these people will have a bad dream or they'll, they'll see a shadow person or something like that. And a lot of the time, like certain things will happen on, on these devices. They'll get a reading, you know, um, and he's saying that he's collecting enough of this data that like you can start making, um, you know, correlations between these things, like something like making a database. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's what he's trying to do. And, you know, he's, at, at this point, I guess he's still like calibrating like exactly what instruments he needs. Cause it's, it's, it's a trickster. It's, um, you know, it, it basically like, and he was, he was talking about it. Like it's almost a quantum experiment where if you observe it, it changes, um, you know, the outcome of the experiment. Like you have to, you have to live like your normal life and have these kind of um, devices measuring uh, the phenomenon kind of in the background as you, as you just like go throughout your normal day um, or else nothing's going to happen. Cause that's, you know, when Bigelow went to Skinwalker and was like, we're going to find something like nothing would happen. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. It's like, it's like a quantum experiment. Like, you know, <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if you're intentionally trying to measure it, uh, it's going to, it's going to fuck it up basically like you have to you have to let it be um and so that's that's kind of what he's doing and he's saying that the, there's like these these energies he was kind of asking why he's like why would you know why would these people settle in the Utah basin like what what about it like it's pretty inhospitable and it, and so he was kind of talking about you know there's these places where like the native peoples would would gather and plant, you know, like say, this is where we're living. And he's like, is there some kind of en energy there, like natural energy, or is there like that, that attracts people to these certain areas? Um, and, or is there something underground, uh, that, you know, <laughs> is there something underground that like an alien civilization put there, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years ago that attracts, you know, humans to that, to that area, you know, like ley line kind of thing. And he was also talking about how, uh, for his experiments, um, it's pretty much like all native American people <laughs> in the experiment, because they're so sensitive to this stuff, uh, because they, they believe they, they have a deep belief in, in their land and, um, in their people and in their culture and in their history that they're, they're sensitive to this phenomenon and that in itself reminds me of of what lou elizondo was saying he's he, he was basically saying a similar thing when he meant he went and um i think met with the leader of the lakota tribe um i believe he said that and he's like this is elizondo said like this is just part of their natural you know existence that's that's part of their culture and and i thought that those two things um kind of clicked together and it's like you know, it, this could just be like a, a super, I, that's what makes me think it's, it's at least indigenous to this planet and not ET. Is it, it, it seems like some sort of, at least represented by some sort of energy, by some sort of, and not even just like woo woo, like energy, like, like electromagnetic energy. And, um, uh, 
that that you know attracts or repels uh it's i don't know i i just thought that interview was super interesting and the connections that he made um you know with skinwalker and in that area of the Uintah basin just being just attracting you know attracting people to to stay there um and how that that could happen all over the world uh you know with these and and then it makes you think about the the ancient monuments and that kind of thing and are we are we intentionally being led to these specific areas on this planet to to live and to you know evolve as a civilization is are we meant to be in these places because some of them aren't too hospitable and then you know eventually we spread out everywhere but it's just interesting to think about initially sorry i just like rambled on forever <laughs> but uh, no that's a good point i i wanted to make the point also though is like so far it seems like our universe is very inhospitable like i know <laughs> we're still seeing a lot of things but so far we have come up empty-handed as finding like life right like has there has not been confirmed life anywhere except our planet yet is is that right or wrong as far as i know right so like in, in my opinion we are the role of the dice we've gotten is very like i don't know i don't want to say meaningless but just like we, we i i would just like to see confirmation soon that like maybe there is some microbial life on mars or maybe there is some sort of life in europa uh the moon of jupiter um i i wish that there was something that like just was other than just earth because it does get a little depressing to me when i think about that because like it could be so much more spectacular than we understand even on our own planet and uh to think about our own solar system is like I don't know. Tom DeLonge in the past has said things about Mars and like a few other of those places. He said things about the moon. And uh, if those things are true, like they're so like groundbreaking, you know, like any of them, any location that I just rattled off. And uh, I wonder what the implications are. If like, what does, what does disclosure even like truly mean when it comes to like, the answers we're going to get about a lot of these questions. And uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think like, I'm, I'm sure I'm positive that you think there's life in other planets than like other where in our universe. I think that, um, what do you think? Do you think that we're going to get news about that anytime soon? Yes, I do. Um, mostly because like they basically said, I said it like last week, I think they're like, yeah, we found the building blocks of life all over Mars. Uh, okay. It could be not that, <laughs> but, but it might be that, but we're super careful. So we're going to say it's not that yet. Uh, but kind of excited. Like they're so like wishy-washy on, on like getting people's hopes up and stuff like that. It's like, it's like they're so scared of people being excited. I don't know. It's bizarre. But um uh maybe it's not. Who knows? Um, but yes, I do I do think so. Uh long answer short. Um I did want to kind of go back to the control system thing real quick, because 
I I don't know if that's I, fuck it. It's my podcast. I'll do what I want. Yeah, dude. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you're good. I'm sorry if I ran on a little, bro. No, I, like, dude, I did. I don't worry. I I went on forever. Um, I did want to mention that Tom DeLong uh said. And this isn't even just like something he said. It's like something that he was going to spend serious money on at TTSA um, when it came to the control system. He he had a, a couple tweets. They weren't like back to back. They were just kind of um, I don't know. I I for some reason I think you tweeted one of them. Actually, you re, you retweeted one of them. And then I it connected with another one I saw, but. He basically was saying, um, someone told him to spill the beans, right? Like, tell tell us what you know, and uh, that that kind of thing. And so he basically said, I, I forget the tweet. It's in one of my, hold on one second. Are you talking about the one where he talks about, like, leaving a goldfish out? And, no. And, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I know um, I sent that one to you, and that one made me laugh. But it is still a very true concept because people don't grasp how long I don't even grasp it, how long yeah. a million years is like right. evolutionarily, you know, and how much that can happen in that amount of time. And now take millions and millions of years. That's yeah. yeah, there's no telling how much, how many different possibilities there could have been or are. Yeah. Okay. I found it. And this, and this kind of ties in with like the, you know, is there life on other planets? Um, so this is what he said about the control system thing. He he wasn't even asked about it, but uh, someone said, yeah, spill the beans. And he said, um, uh, quote, ancient texts seem to have a common grouping of patterns that are all connected in intent to describe a control mechanism so different than what we would ever conclude. Don't assume that they are coming from other planets. This is also where the conversation gets disturbing. So in that one suite, he's basically saying, hey, all the ancient texts show a pattern that there's a control system in place on this planet. That, that's what I took away from that. Um, and then he also had another tweet that kind of reinforced this, where he was talking about to the Stars Academy. and. Um, you know, something that we're planning to do. Uh, this is what he said, quote, to the stars Academy is currently building the ability to ingest ancient religious philosophical texts into our artificial intelligence technology. With this, we hope to find patterns that may have existed then and still do to this day. So basically Tom was going to take AI and go through all the ancient texts, analyze them and see if he could pull out some sort of control system like pattern so that that that's pretty pretty scary when you think like if the ancient texts were some sort of control system that were just dropped here and we started believing in this stuff we started believing in religion and you know we saw these things in the sky and that was proof of what was in these texts and we've just been controlled by these things this whole time um, that's another kind of take take on the control system. I mean, it, it you know, obviously, Valet saying it it's could be all of this stuff. Um, he said, you know, it's it could be mythic mythical. Uh, I think that was like one of his main ideas was that 
it was myths were part of the control system. So this actually kind of ties in with that. And it kind of makes sense because I think Thomas said before that like ballet was TTSA's like North Star, I guess, when it came to exploring the phenomenon. But uh, yeah, I thought that was worth mentioning at least in terms of the control system. Dude, that just blew my mind. I know I think about this a lot, but like when you really, I know Thomas said that before is like, it gets real at a certain point (laughs) of like, you know what I mean? Like these dudes, it's easy to talk about and speculate and read the books, but like it gets real at a certain point that there is, there does seem to be some weird phenomena going on. And, uh, that like our science keeps falling short to explain and uh, the people that want to talk about the topic are ridiculed or made to look like they're cultists or believers or dogmatic or trying to like, you name it, dude, I've, I've heard all sorts of excuses as to why people shouldn't look at this. And now our Senate is saying like, we are looking at it end of story, you know? And uh, so that's really encouraging, but yeah, as of lately, it's just been like, man, the the attitude towards this topic, I feel like is so, we have so many brilliant people out there that I wish cared about it. Like when Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about this topic, dude, it makes me so sad because I feel like he would have such cool takes on it if he gave it the time of day, you know? And uh, it seems like there are certain people that no matter what, they're, they're not even going to like, give it the time of day to try to discuss it. And uh, at the end, it just leaves people with a bunch of more questions. So it's hard to know what what it is for, for each person individually. I mean, obviously, there's a um, broader stigma that's been built upon by, you know, the people who want to keep this a secret forever. Um, but then there's the individual stigma. And I don't think that's talked about a lot. Um, it's and and I I've said this before too is like is like we think we're ready but I don't I don't think so like <laughs> like we might be prepared but are we really ready like you know as as like a people who study this stuff like we might be brushed up on everything we might be aware of the options of what this could be but are we really ready for it to be what it is and for us to be part of that um you know, living alongside that as <laughs> acknowledging that as, as our reality. Um, it's, yeah, it's one thing to be studied up on something. It's another to be living it. Um, so that, that's kind of a question I've been thinking about lately. And uh, a, a, a big thing that I, I feel like goes into like secrecy and this phenomena is I feel like it operates a lot involving fear. And, uh, and because fear is like the government uses fear too, you know, as like a controller. And, uh, when we talk about a control system, when a farmer calls and says that one of their cattle in the last 30 minutes now has no bones and no blood and is splayed out, you know what I mean? Like these people are calling and talking about things that are impossible happening that make your skin crawl and uh it just makes you think like whatever this is it 
uh, I don't know, dude, it's very unsettling and it does <laughs> seem to operate off of fear in some way. If the, if those things are connected and Tom DeLonge says in the secret machines books that like, um, cattle mutilations are connected to the UFO phenomenon. So like that, the fact that that's out there is something that scares people and something that can like be used as a tool to like convince people one way or the other. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, like, that's sure. something that scares me about this topic is that there are high emotion topics and that's one of them. And uh, I'm scared as this becomes something that a younger, in my opinion, the younger generation is going to be very interested in demanding more demanding the more information we get and uh i don't know how they're gonna declassify scary things because fear is such a controlling like a controller that it can be used against you it can be used in all sorts of horrible opportunistic ways um but that is like who says that fdr the only thing we have to fear is fear itself was that him or was that like truman or someone else but uh, uh, I believe that strongly. <laughs> like uh, that, it, it really is something that can like cripple a country. Is having fear hanging over you. So like, I want to see how they navigate this topic and stuff like that, or abductions, or like, um, if those types of people will ever get any closure. You know. Yeah, that's um, yeah, abductions are tricky. So, uh, and that's the thing with um. Neil deGrasse Tyson too. It's just like they basically use the stigma to justify them being an asshole about something. Like, you know, they they basically say, "Hey, this is um, you know, this is a joke." Uh, okay, so this person who got abducted. Okay, abduction in itself is a traumatic event. You're being taken against your will. Um. And someone who, you know, says it or experiences it and um, let alone reports it, <laughs> like reporting an abduction is, you know, just as like hard to do. I mean, not just as, but like it's it takes a lot, um, you know, going through an abduction and then reporting it is like it. it's an emotional like. A chainsaw, a buzzsaw. It's it's that I can't imagine. So to take that and to um trivialize it, regardless of where it came from, like say it was like some sort of mind control, it still affected you in an emotional way at, at like at your core. It's still you still had that experience, regardless um, you know, if you were taking aboard a ship or not, your, your consciousness still went through that it's um it still affected you in a way that it would have you know either either way uh you know if you if that's if that's how you your experience was and for someone to kind of take that um and use stigma as a way to feel better about themselves or feel superior to someone else i think it's pretty fucked up um but yeah it's and I, I'm not saying like he knows he's doing that. Like it's not, it's not something our society would really like um, acknowledge as like something someone should be aware of. Just you know, in a in a 
interview where people are just going off the cuff, but it's still like he he's he's being an asshole on purpose about UFOs and he's and he's using that trauma that people experience as a crutch to do that. And I, I just don't think that's I think that has to change. I'm not necessarily saying that Neil deGrasse Tyson is like doing like being a complete asshole about like I'm I'm saying that kind of thing just in general has to change to where um you know even just like mental health stuff like we need to take it seriously and and maybe this phenomenon can help us do that um because so many people who may have seemed quote unquote crazy now are not and now you have to look at it from hey it's their environment doing this to that, to them you know their environment plays a part in this it's not just all in their head i don't know um but i think that could be a positive uh maybe a positive outcome from from the acknowledgement yeah i'm encouraged by what i hear certain scientists say about like what non-human intelligence could be like i heard you mention gary nolan earlier and uh when he talks about like trying to communicate with ants and he says like how ants if i'm correct he says ants you smell as like their main sense or as their main way to communicate yeah pheromones and, i think yeah pheromones and uh I was thinking about how humans, our our brains are literally, our neurons are firing electrical impulses. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a sophisticated intelligence or what have you, technology, something that can understand the cause and effect of the electrical firings of our brains can render all sorts of experiences for human beings. Oh, yeah. I hope I explained that okay. Yeah, but, I mean... Uh, yeah, just just triggering certain neurons to to fight. We do that to mice all the time, right? <laughs> it's uh, not you know completely doable. Um, guess we can talk about Twitter for a minute, but there's definitely good things um, about Twitter that are that are hard to you can't really find anywhere else. Um, I don't know. I yeah, like I went, I did stuff on Reddit for a while and. Um, now I now I kind of just do that with my articles and stuff. But Twitter's a little different because especially when it comes to like reaching um you know, reaching an audience. I don't know. I just started like tweeting out shit. Like blah. Like I, I didn't I didn't even really pay attention. And and people started paying attention to that and that, that was cool. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna fucking suck my own dick right now. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> my own podcast. <laughs> Dude, Twitter makes me laugh because, yeah. like, I think that it's, dude, the fact that I'll, I'll be honest with you, dude. I, I like, if I would see my philosophy when I first was like on Twitter was like, if there's someone cool there that seems cool, I'm gonna shoot them a message and just see what they're about and like see if they want right. to talk or whatever. Yeah, and uh, that's been so fruitful and like cool and i've met so many like intelligent smart just awesome interesting people with a like huge spectrum of opinions and like that way do not agree with me or vice versa some people really agree with me yeah. and and i've also been able to connect with people like you dude like i i've been reading your posts for freaking years now not even realizing that it was you necessarily and uh <laughs> I, I've just been a big fan, dude. So, like, I gotta say, I tip of the hat for that. And uh, this is something that, like, Twitter 
I feel like the shortcoming of Twitter is it just gets really personal really fast. Yeah. And like people true. get so invested in it. And uh, I just, I think if you use it as a tool, like anything, yeah. it can be really fulfilling. And uh, yeah, you just got to like choose your battles on Twitter, I think. Because yep. like there's always a battle. <laughs> <laughs> you can be sure people of that. Are, yeah people are always fucking ready to go that's for sure yeah i just um i i a lot of my stuff is just like fucking thoughts i have that like i don't know <laughs> i just like throw it out there and not really serious but um but a lot of it's research i don't know i use it for different shit um what do you think when like news outlets say like tiny clouds tweeted this <laughs> And like what it's happened what like goes three times. Your head? So. I know, but it happened pretty recently. And it I was like, oh cool. Yeah. Like what goes yeah, through mean, your head when you see that of just you like putting like one sentence and uh, you're like, like hey. yeah, that's cool. Some anonymous guy. Yeah. I'm, it's, not, it's not my real name. So it's like <laughs> I guess that's cool. Uh yeah. Uh, Dude, yeah, I, I don't know. Stoked. Yeah, no, it's definitely it, it's cool. I mean it, I think the one was TMZ, so that, that was cool. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's I you know it's the the exposure that kind of comes with you know having a decent amount of followers. I guess I, I like I'm just a dude with like a blog who like I I work in an office. You know, I'm not like a fucking author who does this UFO circuit you know all the convention that like i'm i just i'm in my i don't have kids you know my wife's supportive of this she's on twitter and stuff and you know she she catches shit too because because of my exposure um so but you know she's a fucking trooper um but yeah like i have the time to put into this stuff and uh it's not it's i'm just interested in it and i just want to contribute to the conversation and you know I guess it's worked that worked out. I, it's um, it's cool. I mean, it's nice to it's nice to write like because I I've always liked to write and I've never really put it out there before. I started doing it on Reddit and Reddit, you know, it was anonymous and so I could write whatever the fuck I wanted. And <laughs> if it got shit on, I just delete my account, whatever. Did you have um, a post that like went viral that was like your post, like your baby that like. You're like, dude, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like a post that really like bumped you on Reddit that you remember. That's just a question that I had. For better or like... worse, uh, probably the Alaskan pyramid one. But, uh... Oh, dude, that's a great <laughs> one though. Nobody had any good posts on that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a couple, but like, yeah, I mean, you it's a that. wild story, but uh, it, it, like who the fuck knows if that's any, even close to anything that's real. But it's like it gets like it just captures the imagination, and you know it's like, and that that's kind of like my whole thing with the subject is there's so much, like, I never would have thought about if I hadn't started diving into like you know, all all this shit. Like it's there are even just science stuff, like just hard hard science. Like I've become fascinated with because I'm into like maybe the the more spiritual side of this led me to research you know the how the brain works like that kind of thing it's it's a learning experience that just builds on itself 
Um, and you know, you get to share that with people along the way and you get to like grow together in, in ways that like, I don't think any other subject can allow you to, um, that's kind of why I do it. I, I, I that might've sounded preachy or some shit, but, um, no, I, just, I thought that was a pretty fair way to describe it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's my opinion. Yeah, dude, I was a JFK guy. Like, I was really interested in JFK's presidency. Yeah, we, we're always supposed to talk about JFK. I don't. I wasn't. I don't think we were supposed to talk about necessarily anything. But yeah. that is something that, like, I I was like a big in. I, I was like a buff when mm-hmm. it came to like that topic. But I hadn't read anyone like Jim Mars yet. Yeah, And uh, when I read Jim Mars Crossfire and then like Peter Lavenda's Sinister Forces, I was like, whoa, this is uh, this is like something else. Because <laughs> the Crossfire, Crossfire, Jim Mars essentially says that there was like a variety of reasons why a variety of people wanted that to happen, you know? And, uh, but the the connections that are made through like intelligence people uh parapsychology people army people there's people that like are all names involved in this kennedy in what i call a cover-up um because the investigation in my opinion was baloney and uh i just thought that it was like a shame that like and still do think that it's a shame that we're probably never going to really get the full truth of that Kennedy thing. And it's interesting to me that this UFO legislation seems to be like following that same track as the Kennedy documentation, because like, unless the public is very interested in like pressuring on this topic, they're going to do what they did with the Kennedy uh, investigation and just continue keeping things classified, sweeping it under the rugs, claiming it's national security there's things Kennedy was killed in 1963. That was over that. I think now is 60 years ago. Um, we, we still can't learn the names of certain people involved with that. It seems like absurd. And, uh, Kissinger. <laughs> yeah. just, dude's gotta go. And then, uh, now we're good. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. It's fucking crazy to think about that. It really is. Yeah. But even without Jim Mars, I still understood that, like, Carlos Hathcock, who runs the sniper school for our military, he is considered by many people to be the greatest sniper of all time. He said he couldn't have made the shots. Um, And uh, after he said that, I was like, what? And then I learned more about the bull action rifle that Lee Harvey Oswald had supposedly used. Um, and, and just the, the, the story with Lee Harvey Oswald, a lot of people don't know this, but like Lee Harvey Oswald, after he supposedly took these shots, he also shot a police officer. Did you know that? I did. And, uh, and, uh, I, I can double check this, but I'm almost positive. He shot a police officer. Um, and then he later in the, the, country was in panic the president had just been shot and this was like the most modern example of that happening and uh it wasn't a federal crime at the time for the president to be killed 
I think that's that is something that like was unique about that they hadn't made the legislation to really respond to something like that for modern times. And uh, so Lee Harvey Oswald goes and slides into like a movie theater and sneaks into a movie theater. And uh, apparently somebody calls the police after the president had just been killed and said that they saw someone sneak into a movie theater and then like nine squad cars show up with the media (laughs) and Oswald gets arrested and he's yelling, I'm a patsy. I'm a patsy as he's being arrested. And why? Who's the president was just shot. Who is calling them or who is calling the police and telling them that somebody just snuck into a movie theater for one? I thought that was weird. And uh, just the police response to at the time, it seemed like very convenient. It was weird. He said, I'm a patsy. I know uh, on Air Force One, as LBJ was being sworn in and uh, Jackie's like crying, she was saying, they killed my husband. Like she kept saying they. And uh, man, yeah, there's a whole lot to that story before you start getting like really far out there. But there's something there. And the, to say that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, alone is just like baloney. So I hope the government's track record on these investigations hasn't been very satisfactory, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. uh, it seems like the public and the Senate in general and the Congress is getting more well-informed on this topic. And I don't think they're just going to let this fly. Like, I don't, I don't think it's going to go away. They're like looking for the right thread to pull. Yeah. Yeah. And right? once they get that thread, they're just going to fucking go for it. Cause there's, there's a hundred reasons to do it. And like not many great reasons not to, um, they're, they're going to leave the, the national security stuff where, where it needs to be left. Um, some people are going to fucking hate it, but that's how it goes. That's, <laughs> you know, the cost to live in, in America. Um, but or the cost to win your wars as a country. Yeah, I mean, like but, it, the thing is, is like if you really get down to it, certain things. Like, I'm sure that the explanation ultimately for a lot of that decision making in the Cold War time yeah. was just the stakes. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. It's it's easy to uh, throw stones exactly. for the, a lot of the decisions they made at that time, but like from what I understand, the more I learn about the decisions people were making it seemed like there were some heroes out there dude like that really cared about the greater good in the u.s and russia um, yeah even if those even if those yeah that that's the thing though is you have to learn uh you have to learn from those decisions you have to um if those decisions uh were the right ones at the time but eventually turned into something that is seriously negative negatively affecting you know how our country is run at a very basic level uh you know 70 75 years later um you, you that's not an excuse at this point to continue uh the status quo when it comes to um you know keeping that kind of secrecy or keeping that kind of hidden you know financial arm um going because it only it only exists to um benefit those keeping it secret at this point there's no i i just don't think there's a reason to keep it secret anymore um except for you know the tech stuff but uh, that's where i'm at 
yeah, I I would agree with that. And uh, I just I I think historically, as as people like uncover more truths about like the end of World War II and the foundation of a lot of these intelligence agencies or the issues that they might have had internally, all those types of things I feel like have they matter you know like they it's i think that they matter a lot because if you don't study history you're destined to repeat it that's a famous quote and uh if we don't have an accurate assessment of our history then we are doomed to repeat the same follies you know and uh what i'm seeing now peter lavenda said this is like the past 100 years are so classified that we have a warped idea of really like what history is and what what things, what actually occurred during these wars and after them and uh, why certain decisions were made. And uh, hopefully we have some light shed on that. Um, I'm just trying to think about the possibilities that could happen for like this upcoming week. Um, I just think that it's possible that the public's interest just takes on like wildfire. Yeah. Um, if, if what these people are saying is really compelling. Yeah. And that, that's the thing really is, is the public debate leading to academia, uh, getting involved. I think that's the main, that's the main, um, you know, avenue through which this is going to be explored the most. And we're going to get the most answers I think is you know the stigma's still there but um that's breaking you know bit by bit but the interest is still not there and if the interest isn't there the funding isn't there and if the funding isn't there the science isn't there that's as simple you know it's that simple so that was I something think, Gary Nolan was talking yeah, exactly. about was how yeah, people stole, had been calling him, him <laughs> and saying like they want to be involved and helpful with this topic yeah and uh where do they go? Like, how does that work for scientists that's, that want to get involved? It's such a good sign. And that's, you know, he was saying that uh, he said it on Lex Friedman, like years ago, he's like, so, you know, uh, scientists or capitalists or something like that. And you, you just go where the funding is so you can, you know, eventually study what you want to study. And, you know, Gary set up a foundation. I think uh, he, announced that on Ryan Graves podcast a little while ago and now you know this new legislation as you know surprise foundation <laughs> who might be helping appoint the board members so um yeah it's 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 all kind of connected in that way where people who it, i think congress consulted the right people they had the right people like if you look at the language of this fucking bill it's crazy like non-human intelligence is the the definition is like satisfied literally every single like you know person educated on the ufo subject like no one was bitching about congress's definition of non-human intelligence you know like that's crazy Oh, do you know know? how savage of attorneys they probably had crafting the language of this? They, I bet they were sitting with these whistleblowers and trying to make sure that this was ironclad as like ironclad as possible to get down to the truth. 
That's and what not, it read like to me. To me, it feels like not only whistleblowers. There's something behind this that's even bigger than that. That would that would cause this language to. That's just my feeling personally. I just like it feels like that like the National Security Council, right? They did their UAP um, after the February shootdowns. They, you know, uh, put together after Biden did his talk. They're like, we're putting together like this interagency UAP task force, and and then. Everyone's like, oh, well, what about Arrow? And they're like, no, we're doing our own thing. And you know what? Maybe that worked out because Chris Sharp reported that the Senate was in consultation with the National Security Council of the White House, and they're the ones who put together that UAP interagency task force. And what the fuck is Arrow doing right now? I don't know. Like Sean Kirkpatrick's on ABC News with his thumb up his ass, you know, talking fucking bullshit. Um, so this, this was, might've happened, um, you know, on its own, it might've like been completely, you know, not, not on its own, but it, it might've been like someone in the national security council, like high up there just being like, fuck it, we're doing this, you know, maybe not good chance. It's not, but I, I, I think there is a chance yeah, but like, that, that was the you- case. Have you seen how prepared exactly. certain people are to answer these questions? And I know it's their job, but like the way that they're for, I think his name is Jack Kirby, for example. <laughs> he was asked about UAP. He's the Pentagon spokesperson. Right? Yeah, he's, the, he's, he's for the National Security Council. Yeah. Right. And he was asked about this topic and his answers have fallen under a huge spectrum of yeah. like belief and disbelief. And they like are very crafty with the way they talk. And, I know, man. Construct some of these responses, but one thing is for sure, there is still like more and more attention is being given to this topic. Yeah. That in the past it would have seen ridiculous, um, and it's being talked about much more seriously than I've ever seen historically. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's 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 really exciting, man. And um, fuck, I'm I'm looking forward to next week. <laughs> it's gonna be rad. Uh, hearing on the 26th of July. Today is the 21st, so yeah, I don't know what day that is. I guess I can look at it real quick. That is, oh, never mind. You guys figure it out. <laughs> uh, Wednesday. That'll be Wednesday. Um, but yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to that and. Um, I gotta, I gotta eat some food. I haven't had dinner yet. Um, but I really, Dang, dude, yeah, do your thing, man. Really I appreciate, appreciate you, you talking to me, coming on and doing this. You're, you're my first interview, man. This is, uh, this is cool. I, because we did, you know, I felt comfortable with you on here and, you know, getting you on cause we did that space and we just talk a lot and Thank you you, you wrote you write some really great stuff too on Substack. Um, you want to plug it real quick? Yeah, if anyone wants to check out my Substack, it is libertyburb.substack.com. So it's L I B E R T Y B I R B. And uh, yeah, so far I have three articles written. Uh, one's about ultra terrestrials. Um, the second one was about the men in black and like the historical significance and, uh, 
goes pretty deep into what John Keel's written about the men in black. Um, and then the third one is about metallic voices and the phenomena, um, poltergeist activity and, uh, Andrea Puhark's space kids. And, uh, so far so good like people in the ufo community seem to really dig them i love them um, they're great i i appreciate it dude and it means a lot coming from you because like i i think the world is the uh stuff that i see you writing and uh yeah dude i just hope that like more productive conversations can come from yeah, like man. more cool scientists stepping forward more people like you writing articles um, and just more people showing interest and in, like, I feel like everybody has a piece of the, like to contribute and, yeah. uh, you're just contributing a whole lot. And, uh, anytime I can write anything, I'm like, I feel like I'm contributing a lot in my head. I feel like I'm contributing a lot, but like, it doesn't take a lot to really like put something out there, you know, like you do, it takes nothing to start a sub stack. It takes nothing to like start a twitter space it takes nothing to really do those things it's just a matter of going out and doing them um and you've done that dude you've crushed it and uh i think you're a bestseller now on substack <laughs> so like hats off to you bro you're killing it right now thanks man yeah your shit is so like i remember when you sent me your first um your first i think it was in paper format at that point I, I yeah, just, it was like a notes or it was like a word document. Yeah, dude, I was just blown away. That's up on a subsect too. Like, it's you go check it out. It's it's fucking wild. But um, it's really like important to have these kinds of talks. I think I don't think it happens enough. I think a lot of people are just kind of focused on, you know, with the that week's events and shit like that. And I'm I'm a little focused on that, but I'm trying to do something a little different. And I think um. I think Garrett was you, you were an awesome first guest to kind of get that started. And uh I really really appreciate you coming on now. Well, you can call me anytime, dude. Yeah. And uh even dude, honestly, even if you didn't even like how this interview sounded, you can do it again <laughs> any other time. And like I'm down, bro. I got you. And I want you to like be happy with the stuff you're putting yeah, out. So no, um yeah, I'm dude, enjoy your dinner. I enjoy uh, I enjoy talking to you. Enjoy your dinner. Like, thank you for everything, dude. And thank you for being so supportive because it like that shit. I'm I'm bro. I've like I haven't even flipped on paid anything on my Substack. And like <laughs> when just you telling me that like something was good means the world to me, bro. Because like it really is everything so far. I I like yeah. So far, it's just like it, it means everything when people that like I like talking to give me feedback. And uh, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for fucking supporting me too. Like, I, I don't know. Because people, you know, it, it's it's much different when when you talk to someone and and like actually like go through like their their stuff and be like, hey, this is really you know makes sense to me or something like that it's 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 it, it's good to have a conversation i guess is what i'm fucking saying um and uh yeah i think i think this was a great one and we'll, we'll definitely do this again probably within you know next month or so but um yeah um uh i guess i'll just thank everyone for coming in this was um patterns tell stories and uh yeah it was the first interview with garrett
Go check out a Substack, Liberty Burb, L-I-B-E-R-T-Y-B-I-R-B. Is that how you say it? Liberty Burb? Oh, yeah, dude. You nailed it. Nice. Okay. Yeah, go check that out for sure. Um, and yeah, I'll talk to you guys soon. And thanks for listening. All right. Bye.